Maybe you've noticed it doesn't take long for someone to go downhill, but it also doesn't take very long for someone to get right either. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Whether as a kid in school or an adult in the workplace, do you ever feel like you just don't fit in? Maybe it's because you don't see things the same way or you're just plain different. Today on Abounding Grace, we begin a helpful new series in 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ed Taylor. As the world around us is becoming more wicked by the minute, how can we stand apart, be different, and honor God with our lives? Well, Pastor Ed believes 1 Corinthians contains just what we need to hear for times like these. And Pastor Ed, before we get into our study, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians is going to be a tremendous study of God's heart for a church in a metropolitan area. Corinth was a huge city, and the gospel transformed lives there. But one of the things we learn in Corinth is that It's very easy for our environment to overcome godly habits, and it wasn't long before the church in Corinth went sideways, which is unfortunate. And so Paul takes a quill in hand, and he writes to them to say, look, you got to take care of things. Leaders need to lead. And there is one thing after another of instruction and correction from the heart of Paul to the church and to the leadership, whether it's something drastic like deal with that known sin, or it's get things in order because God is a God of decency and order, or keep your commitments. And when you make a commitment to give, then give, give generously. The New Testament mandate is is more than the tithe. It's to give as God purposes in your heart. And what is God purposing in our heart but generosity? And so 1 Corinthians is going to be a great study on God's heart for a church that's been overcome by the culture and his desire to call the church back to holiness and commitment to him. Stay tuned. It's a great study. The Lord used it greatly in our church. All right. With that as a backdrop, let's dive right into it now. Pastor Ed begins with this introduction. Well, it didn't take long for the church to expand outside of Jerusalem. Remember, the model for evangelism was given to us in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them and they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Corinth happens to be one of those places that is representative of the uttermost parts of the earth. If you look on a map, it depends on how you measure it out, but about a thousand miles from Jerusalem is this wildly worldly city of Corinth, filled with idolatry, filled with sexual immorality, filled with men and women that were antagonistic toward God, wanted nothing to do with them. Because of the location of Corinth, 
It was a populous city filled with people coming and going. A lot of business taking place. A lot of people coming and going, exercising their business transactions. And it was, it was wild. Corinth is so much like any major city anywhere in the world today. Just against the things of God. But you know, God had a plan for that city. We're too quick to write cities off. We're too quick to really write people off. Because if you were to look at Corinth before the gospel got there, it would be easy to go, forget that city. There's no hope for them. There's never going to be any type of penetration of the gospel there. There aren't any believers there. It would be easy to look at the, the, the rampant sin there and write them off. And I don't know when the last time it was that you wrote someone off, but I hope you've repented. Because writing people off, you know what that does? That puts us in the seat of judgment. And it wasn't you or I that sent our son Jesus Christ to die for them. It was our gracious heavenly father. And when he looks at a city, when he looks at Aurora, when he looks at Denver, you have to think that God sees potential for people getting saved. He sees families rescued. He sees households that one day were completely against God, rescued and saved and serving him. 700,000 people in the city of Corinth. 300 plus thousand people just here in our own city. The metro area is filled with millions. And God has entrusted this city to our care, spiritually. We have a responsibility to this city. We have a responsibility of evangelism to win a person to Jesus Christ, to communicate with them about the things of God, to love them in Jesus' name enough to tell them the truth about their sin and about the hope of Jesus in their life. We have a responsibility in this city to disciple people and to train them up for ministry, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We have a responsibility to send people out. I know some of you have been very uncomfortable lately because our church has been sending so many people out. I just want to let you know it's not over. I hope it never ends. I hope we never get stagnant to the point where, oh, we're sending another person out. What? What are you talking about? That's great. And you know, Paul was sent to the city of Corinth. Aren't you glad Paul was sent? He was sent all over the place, but for 18 months, he spent time in the city of Corinth. He planted the church there. He discipled the believers there, and then he moved on. And it's easy, it's easy to see that God had a plan for this city. And 18 months doesn't sound like a long time, but it is. It doesn't have to take years and years and years for you to become a strong believer. I've found over the years that as much as you want to grow in the things of God, you can grow. I mean, if you want to go for it, you want to spend a majority of your time seeking the Lord, the Bible says he will be found by you. You spend that time investing in your spiritual life, you'll grow so fast it'll blow your mind. You'll be sharing with somebody and a verse pops out of your head and you're like, where did that come from? The Spirit of God working in your life. 18 months is more than enough time to establish leadership, to establish a work of God. And, well, even after good discipleship, even after a good foundation by Paul himself, believers and churches can still get off. Just veer off into stuff that they don't need to be getting involved in, and that was Corinth. After Paul left, it didn't take long for them to turn some difficult corner. 
to be faced with some temptation and find themselves in a place of great disunity. I mean, if you're taking notes, a lot of things were happening in the church, and we'll look at them individually, but there was great division among the believers in Corinth. There were factions. They were creating Christian celebrities in the city of Corinth, in the church of Corinth. There was rampant immorality. There was unspiritual leadership. There were mistakes. The church was glorying in sin. There were doctrinal issues. They were getting off doctrinally. They had weird views about the resurrection. It didn't take long for them to turn a corner and get off. And so if you are taking notes, really the book of 1 Corinthians divides neatly into two halves, and we'll look at them as we go through. The first half, in chapters 1 through 6, Paul shares some concerns with the church in Corinth. And then the last part of the chapter, chapter, or the last part of the book, chapter 7 through 16, Paul shares corrections. So he's going to lay out the concerns, and then he's going to lay before them the corrections. He's going to say, this is what I see, and this is how to get it right. You know, the church in Corinth was so spiritually gifted that they began to be haughty and prideful about their spiritual gifts. And, and as they were exercising their spiritual gifts, they were drawing attention to themselves and not to Jesus. They were, they were young. And when you're young in the Lord, you make a lot of mistakes. But Paul, he hears about these things and he writes them a note, a letter. It would be the equivalent of getting an email today or maybe even a long text message just saying, hey guys, I heard what's going on there. It's time to get it right. And right off the bat, before we even jump into the book, 1 Corinthians speaks to me as a leader, as a pastor. I want to give you a couple things just to look for as you're reading through. As you go through the book, as we study a book together, whether it's Corinthians on Wednesdays or Acts right now on the weekends, read ahead. Read through it. It's not that long. It won't take you that long to read through the book, read through it once a week, read through it every other day. Set up a plan so you're saturated with the knowledge and the information in this book and allow the Holy Spirit to be a teacher to you. And as you're reading through, a couple things come to mind. Number one, so you've got a church that's going off. You've got a church that's veering away. Number one, strong godly leadership. Strong godly leadership helps us stay on track. Strong, godly leadership helps us stay on track. God himself, now I know some of you may not like this, but listen. God himself has ordained spiritual leaders in your life to lead you. Now, of course, for those of you that don't like to be led and don't like to submit, you don't like that. But God has put leaders in our lives to speak into our lives to look in our eyes and tell us things we may not want to hear or speak a word into our lives or speak a scripture into our lives that we need to hear. And strong godly leadership, whether it's for a church or just in your home, in your life, a good, strong, godly leader in your life will help you stay on track. They'll look at your life, they'll examine it spiritually and examine it scripturally and say, hey, this isn't right. And this is the way to correct it. Strong godly leadership is so important in, in the church. Listen to this. You can jot it down in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey those that rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, 
for that would be unprofitable for you. So good leadership keeps people on track, keeps us on track. Number two, another thing I learn about life, I learn about church life, I learn about my life from the book of 1 Corinthians is it doesn't take long to go downhill. It can happen very, very rapidly. Paul the apostle isn't gone from this church but, but a couple years and the church has slipped into all sorts of trouble. Why? We're not exactly sure what it was. We're not exactly sure what happened. But as we study the letter, we'll see that for sure the spiritual leadership there wasn't spiritual. And we'll see that as we go through. So we definitely know there was some problems among the leaders because in chapter 5, if you're in 1 Corinthians, you can just look real quick to chapter 5 in verse 1. This is the, one of the best ways to describe what we're dealing with in this church. He says, it's actually reported among you that there's sexual immorality. And such sexual immorality that isn't even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. That was the condition of the church. That's a sad condition of the church. Paul hears about this sexual immorality, and the first thing he is is mourns it, sorrowful. He says, you guys aren't, you don't even care. You're all puffed up. You think it's some cool deal that you're more liberal and more free, and, and you can have sexual immorality and still be a righteous church. And Paul says, no. No way. Shouldn't be puffed up about that. And we'll get into that one in chapter 5. The third thing I notice here in 1 Corinthians is an overview is it's never too late to turn back to Jesus. You never cross that line. Now I understand the ramifications of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and, and somewhere there's a line that, that can be crossed that, that there's just, that's unforgivable. But you know what? That's between, that's God's deal. I, I don't know what that line is. I don't even want to know what that line is. And as long as I have breath and as long as you have breath, I want to call you to repentance and let the whole Lord sort it out. It's never too late. Because sometimes you get into that place where you don't receive correction anymore. Your heart is so hard. But God's letter of correction through the Apostle Paul to this church is really God's heart to bring the church back to himself through repentance. It's going to be a heavy theme. Because sometimes sin so wraps itself in our lives, it's easy for us to think, well, I'm too far into this, there's no turning back. I just, it's, I'm, I'm beyond. I mean, I don't even want to know what the consequence, I'm beyond, I'm just, I'm not even going to worry about it anymore. I'll just be found out, I'll just wait till I'm found out and I'll just keep living in sin. It's not wise. You want to come clean today. Turn over to John chapter 8. This is all preparatory as we jump in and cover a few verses tonight. Look at John chapter 8. There is a way out. You can be delivered. You don't just have to have that fatalistic viewpoint. Well, whatever, you know, I'll just take it and I'll just take my chances. No, 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 stop and repent. It's never too late. While you're breathing, you can turn back to the Lord. Come back to him. In John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they'd set her in the midst, they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. 
What do you say? And they said this, testing him, verse 6, that they might have something of which to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, isn't it, isn't it always the question, don't you want to know what he wrote? What was it exactly that he wrote? We don't know. It's all speculation. We don't know. It could have been a lot of things. The Bible doesn't say. There's been some neat theories on what he was writing here. He seems to avoid the whole trap by just simply writing on the ground. Jesus always focused and clear in his thinking, always doing the Father's will. Some thoughts that seem to fit the picture with the reaction, could it be that as Jesus is writing, he's writing down sins in their lives that only they know about? It would be the equivalent of just words being flashed up here right now. No names, just words. Sin after sin. And there's a 50 words up there, but only one got you. Because it's been a secret in your life for so long. Just one. Could it be that he's just writing down things, and as he's writing down, you know, he's not going through 50 to get one. He knows every single person there individually, and he's writing every single one down. Maybe he turned, you know, and they got all the Pharisees around, and he writes to you. To you? I wasn't looking at you, by the way. To you? To you? You know, just writing them down. That could be. It could be that as he's writing down, he's writing down sins of adultery that those men committed. Since they're Mr. Trap the Woman, maybe they're writing down the sins of adultery that are in their lives. I don't know. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel... All who forsake you shall be ashamed. And that's true. Those that depart from me shall be written in the earth, it says, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. That's Jeremiah 17.3. Jesus is fulfilling that right in their midst. We know whatever he was writing, according to verse 9, it was enough to bust them. Because it says, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. It's too bad, isn't it, that verse 9 doesn't say something like, And and they heard, and they repented, and they humbled themselves, and there was a great time of weeping and crying and repentance, and man, they surrendered. That's always my hope when I'm counseling someone. And it's rarely what someone does. It's always my hope that when we're talking about the things of life and the sensitivity of the things in your life and the brokenness of sin, and it's always my hope that we end weeping together, but it very rarely happens. Instead, we've been conditioned in our world not to want to hear the truth. I know that we would never say, lie to me, but that's how we live our lives. Lie to me. Tell me that everything's going to be okay. I can't. As a matter of fact, I have to tell you just the opposite, that if there's not a major change in your life, everything's going to get worse. And it's, there's this prayer that we have to pray, Lord, help me to want to hear the truth, to receive it. They left, and Jesus is there with the woman, this woman that is guilty. There's no question. But I'll tell you, this Jesus being left with the woman alone, it's the best place she could be. It's where she belongs. Just caught up in the humility and how she's just been made, a, been ridiculed and been made a spectacle where she needs to be as Jesus. 
That's right, she just needs to be right there. She didn't run after him, screaming at him, yelling at him, hitting him, and, you know, why'd you do this to me? I can't. She's just right there, it says. She was left alone with Jesus standing. There's the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus gives the direction, because it's never too late to turn. You might be that woman caught in the midst of adultery tonight. It's never too late to turn. You need to be right there in the midst, right with Jesus. And when you're there with Jesus, you're going to see the same thing that you're going to hear the same thing he said to her. When Jesus raised himself up, verse 10, saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? According to John chapter 3, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn, but to bring conviction. It's the enemy that condemns. It's our flesh that condemns. And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So two things happen with this woman when she turns and she humbles herself before Jesus. Number one, he says, neither do I condemn you. That's salvation. That's a beautiful picture of salvation. God saying to you through the blood of Jesus Christ, neither do I condemn you. Your sins are ever before you. And you are guilty as guilty can be, but in the, by the blood of Jesus Christ, God says, neither do I condemn you. So salvation takes place when you turn to the Lord. And then the second thing he says, he says, go and sin no more. That's the process of sanctification, living for the Lord. First you surrender to the Lord, then your life is living for the Lord. A lot of times when a the grace of God is taught and emphasized through the scriptures, it's very easy to misunderstand that the grace of God is permission for you to go live like the devil and just do what you want. Well, I have freedom in the Lord not to sin. I have free, I can do whatever I want. Ed, you can't tell me what to do. Uriah, I can't tell you what to do, but I can show you what the Bible says to do. We don't have permission to live like the world. We don't have permission to play games with God. We don't have permission to create a religion that makes us comfortable. We don't have permission to rewrite the scriptures. We don't have permission to create a God in our own image. We don't have permission to take the, the true precepts and examples of Jesus Christ and twist them so they fit our own agenda. We don't have permission to take things in our own hands. We don't have permission to lean on our own understanding. We don't have permission to act out in the flesh. Don't misunderstand freedom. Paul, Peter said that don't use our freedom. Don't use your liberty as a cloak for licentiousness or for vice. Like when somebody comes up to you and say, hey, man, you know, that, that's, man, that, that really didn't reflect the Lord. Ah, you get, all things are lawful for me. And, I mean, that's hard to minister. It's hard to reach a guy like that. It's hard to, what do you want us to, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, imagine this. Somebody has enough courage through the process to come and tell you something, and that's your response. Not only are you not receiving it, but now you're quenching the spirit. And that poor guy's going away like, oh, they didn't hear me. It was so hard. I knew it would be hard. And, and maybe you're that person. Just be encouraged in the Lord. Just speak the truth. Trust the Lord. Because what you're going to hear from him is, hey, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. God desires to serve us in that same way. As you can see here in the early going of our study of 1 Corinthians, there is a lot here to take in and apply. We look forward to going through the book with you in the days ahead here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. 
If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to calvaryaurora.org. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryaurora.org. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners, and when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. While many believers have settled for mediocrity or are living much like the world, that doesn't have to be your life story. You can experience a close and intimate relationship with God. Allow Tozer to point the way as you read The Pursuit of God. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryaurora.org. We'll look at the first verses of 1 Corinthians tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We hope you return for that. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 